Our word for today is found in the book of Mark, chapter 3, if you'll turn to Mark, chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading verses 20 till the end of the chapter. Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all, sh- all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemes wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. There came then, uh, there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And, they, and he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. First Timothy chapter 5. Today I want to speak on coming home to the house of God. As we continue our series in First Timothy, I want us to be encouraged today that as believers in Christ, we're a family. And every Sunday, in a sense, is like a homecoming. We come home to the house of God. We're with the family of God. And we want you to feel at home in God's house. We want you to feel happy to be home. Sometimes, I remember when I was at camp one year, I was a, a, a guest speaker at this camp. It was in Rapidan, Virginia. And there was a little boy, Anthony, sat at my table. And on Monday, and he was like so homesick. And on Tuesday, he was even more homesick. He, he, and he started crying that he couldn't swallow his food. And, and, and so he needed to go home. He was so homesick. He wanted to go home. And I, I pray that during the week we get homesick for God's house. That we want to be in the house of God. We want to be with God, His Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in a special way. I mean, we know He's with us all the time. But God's with us in a special way when we meet together because He's in all of us. And so it's a beautiful thing. Coming home to the house of God. Let's read this morning 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to focus really on... The first three verses, we'll, we'll just kind of focus there, but I'm going to read down to verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 10. 
Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old having been the wife of one man. Well reported of... Well, let's read verse 10 together. Well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Praise the Lord. Pastor Carmine, could you turn this down a bit? Thank you. Let's pray as we begin this morning. So now, Lord, as we come home to your house, we are brothers and sisters, even as this passage says. The elder we're to treat as our fathers, the younger men as our brothers, the elder women as our mothers, the younger women as our sisters, in purity. And so, Lord, help us today to realize that we are this family, this wonderful family. And so teach us even what you said, Lord, and encourage us. Oh, God, encourage every heart through this message to love you and follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. So I want to speak to you today just very simple. Coming home to God's house. It's a beautiful thing to have the house of God where we can come. Many people are sick and not able to come to church. Some people are isolated, can't come to church. Some people are being persecuted and aren't able to come to a church so open and public as we're able to come. What a blessing that we are God's family and this is God's house. And Jesus taught us this. So I want to go back a little bit as we continue our series in First Timothy, coming home to God's house. I want us to go back to what Jesus said in two passages in Mark chapter 3, just as we begin today. And you'll see in your notes, I think it's the first blank there if you're following along and and you're going to take notes there on page 9 and 10 or so in your bulletin. But the first blank there is Jesus taught us that we are a spiritual family. And for those of you who know the Lord, you know that. But this is what Jesus Himself actually taught us. That we are a family. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 3 again. And this was the scripture that was read earlier to us. But it seems in this passage that Mary and the half-brothers of Jesus are even concerned about Him, that He is so busy and being overworked, He's not even able to to get a a good meal. And even some of His family members, back up in verse 21, that's why we read this whole passage, it says some of His friends, this could be the, the family who came out looking for Him, they say, He's beside Himself. In other words... They were concerned that he was not behaving in a balanced way. Jesus. So, so Mary and, and his brothers go out looking for him. 
And that's down in verse number Verse 32, where they say, Behold, your mother and your brethren, they're seeking for you outside. And Jesus said, Who is, and this is, now this is very interesting. The only time Jesus ever used the expression, My mother. This is it. And it's not Mary. Now, Mary was his mother. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying, Jesus never looked at Mary and said, you are my mother, in the biblical text. Jesus never called Mary my mother. He does call those who do the will of God, who are mothers, like His mother. Look at, look at the text. He said, behold, your mother and your brethren, that's His brothers. He did have brothers and He did have sisters. They're seeking for thee, verse 33. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers, my brethren. And he looked round about and he said, Behold my mother. You, mom. Jesus said, You're my mother. You, you're my brother. You are my sister. And he said, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother. My sister and mother. Do you know how earth-shattering that is? Considering the extent to which Mary is exalted in the Roman Catholic system. I won't go off into that, just making that observation. We are His family. Jesus said so. We are a spiritual family. Now I want us to go to Mark chapter 3. This is also so beautiful. Mark chapter 10, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 10. This is amazing and I just love this so much. That this family that we are in right now, this family where we are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to each other, it's now and it's forever. That's what Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 10 and verse 28. This is right after that passage of Scripture where the rich young ruler wouldn't follow the Lord. And Peter, I like how he puts it in Matthew, won't turn there, but Matthew, Peter basically says, well, he won't follow you, Lord, this rich young ruler, he's not going to follow you, but we're following you, Jesus, and and I want to know what's in it for me. (laughs) You know, Peter's like, what do I get out of this? (laughs) If I follow you, Lord, what will you give me? It's not about us, is it? We would like a reward at the end of the day, don't we? Well, Peter's kind of said that. What shall we have? But in Mark chapter 10, look at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Well, we have left all and have followed thee. And again, Matthew adds the words, What shall we have therefore? And Jesus answered and said, verse 29. Can you read verse 29 with me? It's Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the Gospels, keep reading please, verse 30, but shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecution, and in the world to come, eternal life. Isn't that awesome? The point is, 
your family might cut you off in this life for following Jesus Christ. There have been many people who have been cut off out of a family, out of the family inheritance, out of even any kind of association for following Jesus Christ. Some who have followed Jesus Christ are looked upon as dead by their family. Some have lost their family for the sake of Christ and the Gospel. Jesus said, when you lose your family for My sake, you gain mothers, fathers. You don't just have one in the house of God. Multiple mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. We're a wonderful family, is what Jesus is saying. And then on the other hand, I want to say this to you who have been disappointed by your family. And I'm actually speaking to everyone. (laughs) Do you know families are very disappointing? I mean, you either don't have the family you wished you had. I wish I had a brother. And then other people have a brother and says, man, I wish I didn't have a brother. You know, Other people say, I wish I had a husband or a wife. I'm so disappointed. Other people are like, i got a husband. How can I get rid of this guy? You know? So, many people are disappointed about the family. They either don't have the family they want, or the family they do have, they wonder, how do I get into this? Earthly families can be disappointing. I'm just talking reality here. But the, the sad thing is, is families can be sometimes very painful. In all seriousness. Families can be abusive. Families can be very painful and bring us a lot of hurt that we carry throughout life. But Jesus said that in the family of God you have mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers who should love you. Maybe you had an abusive father. But here you can adopt a father who will be, you can adopt your own father who will love you. Maybe you have an abusive mother. You can adopt a mother. Maybe you wish you had a son or a daughter. You can adopt a child, a, a son or a daughter here. Maybe you wish you had a brother or a sister. Adopt a brother or a sister here. You can have as many brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers as you like in the family of God. Just love. And reach out. Jesus said, you shall receive a hundredfold. <laughs> you have a hundred fathers. Isn't that awesome? A hundred brothers and sisters and mothers and children. You want children? <laughs> you can have them here. Just adopt some of the children here and love them. Now you'll have some persecution, Jesus said along the way. You're going to get it with persecution. But he says now, I like that. Do you see the word now in that verse 30? You shall receive a hundredfold. When? Now. And then he says at the end, and in the world to come, eternal life. So we're going to be together as a family of God. And it's even going to be bigger. This is just a little church. So the family of God is now and forever. What a, what a, that's why we sang, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. So go back to our text today, which talks about these family relationships in in light of the church. And this is what Timothy is all about, how to behave ourselves and live out love in the local church. This is what we're talking about. 
how to behave in the church of God, how to, how to love and live it out in the church. And this verse gets right really to the heart of some of these things. And there's a, a key word in these verses as he talks about, now the elder here is not talking about office, a position of office. It's talking about an aged man in the church because he's talking about an older man and an older woman and younger men and younger women. So he's not talking here about church office, even though he talks about rebuke not an elder. The elder here is an older man. He, he will speak about church offices later in this chapter, verse 17. But here in this verse, he's talking about the different relationships that we have in the church. And there's a key word that really goes to each of these relationships. And this is what I really want us to think about today. And it's the word in verse 1, entreat. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him. As a, as a father. And the younger men, you can almost read, entreat the younger men as brothers. And the, and the younger, the, the elder women, entreat them as your mothers. And then the younger sisters, entreat them. And with all purity. Entreat means encourage. It's the word often translated, encourage. And I have up here the Greek word, which is very simple, it's parakaleo. And literally, it means to call one alongside you. So when it says entreat, the idea of entreat, it means to come alongside someone. And then the goal is to build them up. To be something to them, encourage them with words or your presence. To build them up. And to show that love of Christ to one another. That's what we're called to do. So you might say, well, next week, pastor's going to preach about... I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach on. Get you all excited. I'm going to preach about widows. Wow. Well, I'm not a widow. So I think I'll stay home next week. Because it's about widows. I'm telling you in advance what I'm preaching on. And I'll be honest with you, if I did not believe in the absolute authority and inspiration of the whole Bible, I would not preach about widows. It, you know, some people don't, you know, they don't even like Paul. You know, some people do not, do not like Paul. I had somebody tell me that actually recently. Oh, I don't like Paul. You know why, one of the reasons they don't like Paul? Because what he wrote in this chapter. Very puzzling things and difficult things. And something hard to be understood. But one of the reasons I wanted to preach through 1 Timothy is I kind of wanted to dive into this chapter 5 about the widows. And there's actually some very important practical things we can learn as a church, not just in relationship to widows, but in, in other circumstances like that. And you'll have to come and find out. And I think you'll be very interested in it. But the point is, we don't come to church just because he said, oh, that message doesn't apply to me. We come to church to encourage one another. To build up our mothers and our fathers and our younger brothers and our younger sisters in the faith. It's so vital that we're in the house of God. To come alongside one another and build them up in ways that are appropriate. So we want to look at this word, entreat, today. 
going to look at a number of different references, but the first thing I want to do as we think about this, I want us to just think about how it's used in relationship to God. Because, you know, God is a comforter. God is our comforter. And it's that same word, entreat. It's that same word, encourage. God is an encourager, I'll put it that way. In 2 Corinthians, if you could go there, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you might want to just hold your finger there. We might reference it just a couple times here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Same root word as parakaleo. The God Himself comes alongside us. God is a God of comfort. He comes alongside us to encourage us and build us up in His love. Isn't that, don't we have a great God? He's the God of all comfort. And not only is God the Father the God of all comfort, and, and by the way, Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, who's doing the comfort there? When people mourn over their sin and confess their sin, they will be comforted by who? By God, with His love. Forgive. Build up. Yes, you're my child. God's a God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. We talked about this in our Sunday school class today with the men. And the word is literally parakletos, the same root word. He's the one who is called alongside us to teach us, to anoint us, to gift us, to fill us, to convict us, to empower us, to witness through us, to intercede for us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He comes alongside us. He enters into us. He indwells us. He gives us love, joy, and peace. And that's what we should do. That should be our goal. To encourage others like that. To pray. To give love. Come alongside and love. Come alongside and bring peace. Come alongside and encourage. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Isn't that beautiful? And not only that, but the very same word is used for Jesus Christ. And it's translated in our, in our Bible in, the new, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 as advocate. But it's the exact same Greek word for comforter. Parakletos. By the way, we call the, whole, the comforter the paraclete. Many people call him that because of that Greek word parakletos. But here, Jesus Christ is our advocate. Same word. He's our parakletos. And the idea here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, and, and, and John says, little children, these things write into you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. That means one who, who comes alongside the Father on our behalf to defend us like a lawyer. To defend us and stand for us and talk on our behalf. We have a comforter, an advocate in Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Timothy, please. Chapter number 4. Aren't you glad you have a God who comes alongside you? You have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside you and dwells in you. You have Jesus Christ who comes alongside the Father to defend you. Because in this life, sometimes you're going to get left all alone. Some people are going to stab you in the back. People are going to turn against you. They're going to slander you. 
Look what happened as in Paul's dying epistle, his last, near to his last words he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said in verse 16, and my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding what the Lord do. He stood with me. He stood with me. He was my friend. He's my elder brother. I'm a son of God and I am a child of God and He's the Son of God. I am a Son of God. He's the Son of God. He's like my elder brother. And He stood with me. Wow, what a friend we have in Jesus. So we have God, who's the God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Jesus is our advocate. And the Scripture, do you know why it was written? Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And I know we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. But Paul says it in Romans 15, verse 4, whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures. That's that ver- this is the same word. It's the same word, entreat. Back in our First Timothy text, sometimes it's translated encourage, sometimes it's translated here, comfort. It's the same gr- Greek word. This word, parakletos, or Parakaleos, same root words. In other words, called alongside. The Scripture was written to come alongside us when we're confused, when we're dazed, when we're tempted, when we're tried, when we're discouraged. It says whatever things were written... They were written for our learning that we through patience, that is an enduring under that situation, and comfort of the Scriptures might have what? Hope. The Scriptures give us hope. So a comforter, an encourager, gives people what? Hope. A comforter helps people who mourn can come alongside them. And give them hope. Give them forgiveness. Give them love. A comforter will come alongside you and defend you. That's what we're talking about. Jesus, our defense. The Holy Spirit, our peace. God Himself, our comfort. The Word of God, our hope. The Scripture was written for our comfort, for our encouragement. So, let's just take another step here. And... We're talk about this big word, parakaleo. It means come alongside. And we talked about how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God come alongside us. But the main emphasis of this word related to us, there's a twofold emphasis. And it's number one, to challenge. So the idea of parakaleo is the idea of challenging someone. To exhort someone. It's used in that way as well. To challenge. Like Paul used this word, you know the verse, Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Give your life a living sacrifice. That word beseech is parakaleo. I'm coming alongside you and I'm challenging you. Surrender your life to God. Remember Philip? Who came alongside the man in the chariot, the Ethiopian man? He came alongside him and he encouraged him and he showed him Jesus. Sometimes you challenge someone to be saved. 
Paul said it in the book of Corinthians. He says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. In other words, if you're here today and you're not saved, God is coming alongside you and saying, come to me. I love you. I want you to be saved. I want you to know me and have eternal life. But God Himself, you don't see God. I'm standing in His place. I know I'm a bad representative, you know. But he's, Paul says, but he said it in that verse, we beseech you in Christ's stead, in the place of Jesus Christ. So, to challenge someone, to, encourage, to this word, parakaleo, you challenge them to be saved. You challenge them to be surrendered. You challenge them to follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 4.16. You challenge them to love and forgive. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, challenge the church to, to forgive uh, that, that brother who had sinned so awfully. Challenge people to walk worthy. Challenge people. And there's a very important verse. You know the verse that uses this word. One of the reasons why we come to, this is why we come to church. It's not about us. It's to serve God. Can you say the verse with me? Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day. That word exhort is our word, parakaleo. It's the word entreat in our text. I'm still in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. I have not lost my place. That we entreat, we encourage, we exhort, we challenge. That's what the word means. One of the key meanings of this word. And you know what? We're living in a society. Oh, I, I, you go to church? Oh, you don't have to go to church. You can have church at home. You, you can watch church on the internet. You can listen to better sermons online. You don't have to go to church. You can watch it on television. Oh, I watch so-and-so on television. No, we need to be in the house of God. It says, don't be like everybody else. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. In other words, that's what some people do, and they're not right. It's clear as day. But exhorting one another. You cannot exhort one another if you don't come in an actual assembly in the best way possible. And the day of His coming is approaching. So, that's a great verse. And here's another verse where this word appears. And I have the verse. Can you say it with me? It's Acts 14.22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You know, living for Christ, you get tired. You do sometimes want to quit. So we need to exhort one another, and you need to be challenged and exhorted to continue. Now, I, this is going to be way too much information, but remember last week I gave you this chart? I even have more information on it this week. So don't, if you want to take a picture of it, you, you, I, I wrote a blog, a, a little brief blog about some of it, and it is on our website, because I was blessed. So you have this keyword abide, which is Mino, and then you have different prepositions added to Mino to, to strengthen the word and give it kind of a different nuance, a spatial relationship here, a directional kind of meaning. So in other words, prosmeno means toward, and it's a cleaving to. It's used that way, Acts 11.23. 
walking alongside is parameno. So we walk alongside the Lord. We abide in Him walking alongside Him. Parameno. And then epimeno is we're upon Him, depending upon Him. And that was the verse we were looking at last week, 1 Timothy 4.16. And this word is actually used in our text, 1 Timothy 5.5, the widows praying toward God. But then uh, at the bottom, hupomeno is under, that is abiding under a situation with patience, serving God. So that's the idea of service. And katameno is, is being residing in a place, and that's like putting your roots down in Christ, resting in Christ. Katameno, so it's used with that preposition, kata, which is down. But this, now, and I say all that to say, in Acts 14.21, the verse that we just read, it says, exhorting them to continue in. Continue in is in meno. In other words, we're in Him abiding, but this is even a strengthening of, of we are in Him. You've got to abide. You've got to continue in the faith. In Christ. In Him. Abiding. Continuing. As you're depending, as you're cleaving, as you're praying, as you're walking, as you're serving, as you're resting. You're in Him. Continuing. That's the idea of encouragement. So that's the first key word to challenge. The idea of challenge is behind this word of encourage and treat. The second key word I want to give you is comfort. It means, so it speaks of challenge and comfort. And just simply, I have the verse here, and we looked at the verse that God comforteth us in all our tribulation. And it's used four times. The, the word is, is our word for that we're looking at, parakaleo. Who God comes alongside us in all our tribulation. That we may be able to come alongside them. So God comforts us that we can do what? Comfort others that are in any trouble. By the comfort where we with ourselves are comforted of God. So four times that word comfort is used. And, you know, this is such an important part of life. In fact, we got a prayer letter from the McPhails this past week. We've been, serving, we've been supporting the McPhails for many years, more than 20 years, I think, in their ministry of Cambodia. And now he's a regional director, and sometimes he travels to different parts of the Far East. He goes to Australia, or he goes to Thailand, and he goes to different places, and he, he serves our missionaries in different ways. And as I read this letter, guess what word I saw repeated in it? Encourage. For example... He said it was a true spiritual blessing to catch up with the missionary families during our field visit. It was encouraging to see their continued faithfulness. So he came alongside people, the missionaries, and he was encouraged as he came alongside them. And then he, he, he goes down, he said he went to a migrant labor camp in Cambodia where people live. A migrant labor camp. That sounds tough. That sounds like a tough place to live. And he met a young man named Tuen, T-U-E-N. He said it was eye-opening to see in person what young believers are up against in such circumstances. And he said it was a blessing to help encourage this young man. Encourage. So Brother McPhail from America has gone to Cambodia to come alongside young men who are young believers in migrant Work situations, very difficult, hard working, from sun 
till dark, I'm sure. And he said it was, a, it was eye-opening. But it was a blessing to help encourage. You'll get a blessing when you encourage others. And then he said at the end of the prayer letter, because he's going to Australia, he's going to visit one of... He's going to visit our church planner in Brisbane that we support also, who's starting a church in Brisbane, Australia, David and Naomi Minnick. He's going to visit them for a three-week visit on March 17th. That means he left Friday, right? So he's, he's on his way to Australia. And he said, pray for us as we seek to encourage and strengthen those serving him in Australia. And I thought, wow. This is what they do. He's, now, he, he, could, he could have a Zoom meeting with those missionaries in Australia and, and not t- spend all the money and time traveling, but to actually go there and physically come alongside them is so much better because we were made for that. We were made for that. So, Lord, bless Brother McPhail as he's on his way to Australia, maybe there, to encourage the Minnicks and these other missionaries serving you. And we even pray for this young man, too, and that he came alongside and sought to encourage. We pray that he would grow in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is how we live out love in the local church. We want to encourage each other. So I've used most of my time. I realize, I don't know what time it is, but I know I've used most of my time. So I'm going to just really quick, as quickly as I possibly can, try to summarize what Paul is saying now in 1 Timothy. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And let's talk about this for a moment. So he says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat. Now, we've talked about this word entreat. There it is. Challenge. Comfort. Entreat him as a father. And then those younger men, challenge them and comfort them as brothers. Those older women, comfort them and challenge them as mothers. Those younger women, Comfort them and challenge them as sisters with all purity. And honor widows that are widows indeed. So Paul does an amazing thing here. What he does is we see he crosses generational lines. See? He's talking to who? Younger and older. Is there a difference? Do younger people go through certain things and older people go through certain different things? You better believe it. So... There's different needs of encouragement that younger and older need. And so there's generational distinctions, young and old. But there are also gender distinctions. Because there are women and there are men. There are boys and there are girls. There are older men and there are younger women. There are generational differences, but there are gender distinctions. And these distinctions still exist in the church. In other words, Paul does not talk about all the difference and distinctions that people want to make today. He doesn't talk about sexual preferences. He doesn't talk about pronouns that the different people have. He doesn't talk about the invented genders of the false religion in our own culture. My religion, my faith, My faith, my religion, my belief in the Bible teaches me there are two genders. And that's it. Sorry about that, but that's what I believe. And I'm not going to believe anything else. There are male and female. And 
boys, when they get married, should marry a girl. That's what my Bible, that's my faith, that's my religion. <laughs> a boy marries a girl, and a girl marries a boy, that's it. You know, and so we're, we're living in very difficult times. But this is who Paul talks to. The generational differences, the gender distinctions. And he talks, first of all, to the elders, to the elder males. And he says, encourage them with respect. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. He said, do not rebuke. Rebuke is a very sharp word. It's a severe word. It conveys a lack of love. It conveys a lack of respect. It's a violent word. The idea of rebuke there means to beat somebody down with your words. the, The root word can have even the idea of pounding something and flattening it. We don't want to flatten people with our words. We don't want to discourage and demean and defeat people with our words. It says, don't rebuke an elder. You know, you can get a little bit impatient with older people when they become forgetful, when they lose their cognitive skills that they once had. Don't rebuke them. But it says, entreat him, encourage him as you would your own father. A father being a loving authority ought to be a loving authority in your life. So, older men encourage them with respect. And those are the words that I at least thought of by affirming them, appreciating them, accepting them, admiring them. So, here's what you can do when you come to church today. You could say, you know what? I'm going to pray for so-and-so in our church. A father in our church. And you're praying for them. How, what, and you can prepare your heart and mind. I'm going to see so-and-so in church. Let me come alongside them and say something positive to them. That would be good. Amen? I didn't get any amens on that, but I thought that was pretty good. That's very, I'm just being practical. When you come to church, think about it ahead of time. Pray for one another. And then say, how can I come along? You know, maybe he's got problems. I don't know what his problems are, but I'm sure he does. I'm sure everybody has problems. How can you come along to somebody and affirm them? How can you come along that that older brother who's a father, maybe a grandfather, or maybe just an older, maybe a senior citizen? By the way, I'm just using the biblical terminology when I say elder man. I'm just using the, the King James word. The senior citizens amongst us how can what can you say to a senior citizen man that would encourage him challenge him comfort him that's all i'm saying right google it say how can i encourage an older man there's good websites 115 things you can say i checked it out myself for each of these groups for each of these groups i'm telling you this is really something so secondly younger men it says encourage them it says, as brothers, as brothers. So in other words, I'm a pastor, but you know what? I'm your brother. I'm your... Paul said it many times too. Paul was an apostle, but he said, I'm your brother. You're my brethren. You're my sisters in Christ. And it says here, the young men of the church, I am to encourage and you are to encourage and we are to encourage one another like, like your own brother. Don't look down on them. Don't don't see yourself as higher than them. A brother is equal. Uh, You know, a brother, I might be older than my biological brother, but we're still equal. We still came forth from the same mother and father, and we're made in the same image of God. And so I just want to encourage him to tame your tongue, brother. 
Restrain your reactions. Manage your money. Treasure your time. Balance your social media. But, you know, do it in a way that shows that you're equal. You're, you're not beating him down, but you're building him up. You're trying to encourage him and challenge him to love Jesus and live for him. Look at Titus chapter 2, by the way, and this is very specific towards young men. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy and also keep your finger in Titus 2 because actually Paul also gives these same gender and generational distinctions in Titus chapter 2. But look in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 6. Can you read that with me? It says in Titus chapter 2 verse 6, what does it say? Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So encourage them. It's, it's hard for a young man to sometimes keep his emotions and his, his passions in check, especially in this day and age where sin is so prevalent and so easy to find, especially on the Internet. So young men, curb those passions and exercise self-control. And I exhort you, I challenge you to do it, and I comfort you to say, hey, when you've fallen, go to the Lord. He will give you forgiveness. And, and it's hard. But God can give us the strength to be pure. Encourage younger men as equals, as brothers in Christ. I really believe that young men wonder, and I did when I was a young man, young men wonder, do I have what it takes to be a man? Can I really be a man? I I wondered that about myself. I was sometimes afraid about growing up. This is a little scary growing up. Becoming a man. Can I lead a family? Love a wife? Have children? Be the man to a wife that I need to be? Hmm. Scary. And I, I had a lot of doubts about myself. Thank God for Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives strength. But we need encouragement. And I believe this is why so many young men are gravitating towards a gay and transgender lifestyle. There's fear. There's a lot of fear in our society. I really believe it's fear-driven. People need to be encouraged. If God made you a biological man, and you're a young man, God did not make a mistake, and you have what it takes to grow up and be a man of God. You can be a man of God! Young men need to be encouraged. Yeah, there's going to be fear. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So be sober-minded, young men. I exhort you, I comfort you, I encourage you. God has made you a man, and you could be a great man for God. Older women. Elder women, he says. Encourage. And that word entreat, I really believe, relates to these different relationships. Entreat as of mother. Now I asked my wife. I interviewed my wife. I said, "Honey, can I ask you a question?" And and I said, "How do beautiful women like you who are now as beautiful as my wife is to me, she's a senior citizen. I can't believe it." But in the text here, It says women that are over 60, and I'm over 62. I said, honey, we're getting old, you know. It says over 60, 
Yeah, that's what it, we'll talk about that next week. But, but it says the elder women. And I put here, encourage them with opportunity. And you know what my wife said when I asked her, how can people encourage you? And you know what, this is what she said. I'm quoting my wonderful wife. And I have no other love in this world as far as anyone other than my wife. I just tell you right now, not even close. I've never even been tempted. Why would I be tempted when I have a wife like mine? Thank God for my wife. And I do love her. It's not a perfect love, but I love my wife. So she told me, this is what, what she wants to, what, to be encouraged. She said, quote, to be listened to and my advice well received. To be listened to and my advice well received. And I said, that's exactly what Titus, go to Titus, back to Titus chapter 2 says. Because the older women, it says here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, it says the aged women. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to put yourself there if you're older. Sorry, you know, the aged women. Likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober. And thank God my wife has a beautiful ABF class. And thank God for you beautiful young ladies who are listening and learning from my wife because that will encourage her when you listen to her and receive her advice. And the aged women are to teach the younger. Okay, and then we see the younger women. The younger women, it says we encourage them as protectors. Now listen, we're brothers and sisters here. Some are married, some are single. We need to treat each other as brothers and sisters. So let's say I see a brother talking to my wife, and I'm not there, and I'm just watching. Oh, somebody's talking... Who, who's that talking to my wife? No, no it's, it's, it's her brother talking to us. It's a brother talking to a sister. I'm not jealous of that. My wife will have plenty of conversations with men in this church and women in this church, and you know what? That's fine with me because I know she's, the, she's my wife and I'm her husband, and I talk to, to the ladies in the church, and you're my sister. I want to talk to you as a sister. I think it's because it says here, with all purity... So I put here, younger women need to be encouraged in conversation and encouragement as a protector. Young women and all women need to be able to come into the church and be protected. Now, sad to say, shame, shame, shame on the church that there's been abuse. Not in our church. Thank God we've never had any abuse that I know of. We have zero tolerance for it. No tolerance for abuse in this church toward, toward, toward girls, toward boys, toward women, toward anybody. If you know of anybody who's, who's brought any abuse or there's been any sh- uh, wrongdoing in this church, please do not hide it. Bring it out in the open. We don't want it. We have zero tolerance for it. But there's been a lot of abuse even in Baptist churches, especially the Southern Baptists. And we will go there, but... It's there, and we can't d- deny that it's there. It's, it's there, and it's wicked, and it's wrong. Because look what this text says. It says, 
younger sisters encourage them. The younger encourage them as sisters. It says with all purity. So young women need to feel protected when they come in the church. This world is not a safe place. They need to feel safe when they come into the house of God. And so we want to encourage our young ladies that we have your back. You know, we want to encourage you single women. You're not alone. You younger, younger women who are single, you're not alone. We are your family. We want you to be encouraged that you are a beautiful woman of God inside and out. And we want to speak words that will build you up. With all purity. We need to be people of purity. Now, as I close, I just want to, I'm going to just rifle through this and you can write down the last blanks here. Because I have a whole section here about widows, but I'm going to give you these few blanks. So, if, are, How many of you take notes, by the way? So, oh, wow, look at all those note takers. Okay. So widows encourage them with honor. That's the blank there. And that, now he gets into a long discussion about widows. The longest passage in this book dealing with any single group of people is with widows. How can I, how can I ignore it? Verses 3 through 16. Okay, God is a defender and provider for the fatherless and widows. And many verses about widowhood in the Bible, that God defends and loves the widows. But James 1.27, you know that verse. Pure religion undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from the world, to visit the fatherless and the widows, to love and honor the widows. Now here's Paul's major concern in this passage of Scripture, and it's very interesting. His major concern in verses 3 through 16, the central purpose of this difficult passage is to differentiate which widows the church should support and which widows the church should not support. Because it says honor them, that comes, I believe there's a material financial provision for the widows in view there. Going back to Acts 6, remember when they were caring for the widows and feeding them. So this is what Paul is really concerned about. Which widows should the church support and which widows should they not? And there are three kind of widows that he talks about in this passage. Some widows were without any family support. They're called destitute in verse number 5. That is, they had, no, they had no children or grandchildren or family support structure to care for them. So they should be cared for by the church. Okay, they should be cared for by the church. Letter B, some widows had family support and they should be cared for by their family. They should not be cared for by the church, the family. And that's the passage, it's a famous passage, you know it. If you don't care for the members of your own family, you're worse than a what? Infidel. We know that, but the relationship isn't really a father taking care of his kids, it's a son taking care of his mother. Really, it's the idea of taking care of your your widowed parents. And then the last group of widows that he talks about are the younger widows, and they were taking advantage of the church. And Paul even says, and now he says some of his most puzzling statements about these younger widows, and I'm going to try to unravel it. Paul said it, not me, so I want to see what he said. But they were following Satan. Some were following Satan. It says that down in the passage in verse number 15. Some had already turned aside after Satan. Uh, and and uh, last thing, this passage is so interesting, and this is one thing that's so puzzling. For example, look, look in verse number uh, 
I'm just going to kind of hopefully get your interest with this. Look at verse number 11. It says, The younger widows refuse, for they which have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. So it seems like in their waxing wanton, that is living in luxury and immorality, that's really what the idea is, they were, they were marrying. So the marrying, was it good or bad? It was bad. They shouldn't have been doing that. But then down in verse number 14, Paul says what? I will therefore that the younger widows marry. So I'm like, well, they were doing wrong getting married up in, in verse number 11. Now he says to get married in verse 14. So it's puzzling. That's what I'm saying. It's not easy. But it's the Word of God. And what Paul wrote is just as inspired as what Jesus, as the words in red. <laughs> and so I think it's important for us to, to understand God's Word. So we're going to continue this conversation. But the, the, as we close, just thank God we can come home to the house of God. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you for your wonderful attention to God's Word today. You are a blessing. You are true children of God. I've known many of you for many years. Thank God for you. Let's pray. Lord, we receive You. We walk in You. We depend on You. We follow You. We press forward for You. We are filled with thanks today for all You've done, Lord Jesus Christ, and dying on the cross for our sins. Sending Your Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our encourager. Help us to study, to encourage one another. Forgive me for not being a better encourager, Lord to comfort and challenge the elder and the younger in our midst, the men and the women. Oh God, may our church be filled with this kind of love and encouragement. May we be strong in faith, rich in faith, and live out our faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come home to You, and we thank You that in You we are at home. In Jesus' name, Amen.